Good morning and welcome to Be Bad Podcast. And as always, we want to thank our sponsors, Brown Thomas Cork. And just a reminder that our next event at Brown Thomas is the Amazing Sunday Social on the 3rd of November. An amazing movement class followed by a gorgeous brunch. It's a great morning to bring along a friend and to make new friends. But this morning, let's get to it. I have invited the best-selling author, award-winning stylist, fashion writer and wardrobe wellness coach, Anne-Marie O'Connor. Anne-Marie, hi and welcome. Thank you for having me, Shan. No, I'm really excited. I won't tell anybody she was supposed to be here the other week, but she was in Dublin. <laughs> it was that moment of steely panic. I had gone on Instagram and I could I was watching Shan's story and she goes, I'm really looking forward to interviewing Emery O'Connor and I it's that uh, the blood just drained from the top of my head to my toes and I started shaking and I nearly I was like, Oh, and then I left that panic message oh, going, you. I'm in Dublin. No, do you <laughs> I had the wrong date. And it, but it's not always, that it's that next Friday. Yeah, next yeah, Saturday. Next Saturday yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's got me in trouble a few times, actually. So, no, listen, you're here. I'm so glad to see you. Absolutely delighted you could make it. Yeah, likewise. I'm delighted to be here. Good stuff. So, uh, B Bell, what do we do? Well, we like to start from the beginning. This is all about you. You talk, I listen. And if I, if I want to take you back somewhere, I'll take you back. So where did it all begin for you? Where were you born? Uh, well, I was born in uh, New York, Long Island, New York. So my mom is from an island called Inishbofin, which is off the coast of Galway. And she moved to New York and she was 17 and she, she met my father, who uh, is from Brooklyn. And his parents are both from Kerry. So they immigrated independently from Kerry. Funnily enough, they only lived um, apparently about nine miles away from each other, oh, wow. uh, just outside of Tralee, um, Abbey Dorney and Mona Valley. Yeah. And I think, believe they met at a dance in Brooklyn. And um, yeah, and so the, the, my mom met my dad. Uh, I was born in Long Island. Um, my father died when I was four. So my mother uh, moved us back when I was 12 years old. So I moved to a town called Athenry. So my mother's um, sister had lived there and was selling her house. Um, and we she turned it into a guest house. And we, I went to school in Athenry and I went to university in Galway. And um, I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I really went, interested. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so that's obviously your first, your first school in years were in New York. We're in New York. So I did a year in junior high school yeah. and then I was only 12 when I moved over. So. Okay, but that's a quite difficult time to move, I think, because you kind of start to make, well, for me, that we're going into yeah. in like senior school, I suppose. So I know I was really worried about going from junior to senior without my friends. Um, yeah. That was a big time for me. You know, so. it's funny because my sisters, have, we've had this conversation. A lot of people do say, well, was it difficult? It wasn't difficult for me simply because I think I was always a late starter anyhow. So okay. I was a bit younger in attitude. You know, um, I wasn't as advanced. I was always a late bloomer with things. So I, I think I just and I'm quite adaptable anyhow. So I think I kind of fell into it. My sisters who were 17, I have twin sisters. Okay. They said they were much more resistant to yes, it I because they were already, you know, and they were much more rebellious. And there yeah. was two of them, you know. Um, and when we were kids, like I learned to walk in Ireland and I, we used to come and um, have summers here every couple of years. Um, I learned to walk here when I was, I was 
God, I was a very late bloomer again. I was like, what? I was nearly a year and a half before I started walking. <laughs> but rumor has it, when I did walk, I ran. You didn't stop. Yeah. So, um, oh, and it's ironic because I walk everywhere. I don't have a car. So <laughs> it's weird how life turns out. And I love out. the way late bloomer because how tall are you? I'm six foot tall. Yeah. yeah. So, well, you bloomed. You definitely yeah. bloomed. <laughs> and then we came back when I was... Um, my dad passed when I was five, but they yeah. had planned a trip and um, mom said, you know, dad would probably want us to take it. So I came back when I was five and I came back when I was seven. So we would spend our summers on Inishpafen, um, where my grandmother lives. And it's funny, when we moved back when I was 12, we spent our summers there and I got my first job there and yeah. had my first kiss there. And, and so I had a load of firsts. So losing the parent at, at a young age that must have been very difficult yeah I mean I think you don't really realize what the repercussions are of of losing someone in your family until you get older yes I had delayed grief when I was 16 okay. and my mother took me out of school for a week and she basically she was amazing like she just I was very confused I didn't know whether a lot of the memories I had were assumed memories from collected from you know and I created a narrative in my head based on what pictures and what people had told me or whether they were organic and authentic to my own experience um, and it's it's really difficult because I think when you lose someone so young the assumption is that oh well you haven't lost anything and it used to hurt a lot when people said that and I thought well that's my father you're talking about my mother yes. said you've actually lost the most because you have the fewest memories yeah and so the ones that and as you know memories dissipate with time and I think I was clinging on to very slippery rock and she's like no these are yours and she was able to quantify and 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 just be you know what such a wonderful mother to say if if those are your memories and those are your memories don't let anyone tell you they're constructed yeah. or otherwise if that's Perception what you have reality. then then those are yours baby girl you know so yeah. um and i'm very grateful for that because it just it was just felt like a blessed relief and um yeah yeah it's a, it's a difficult thing i think i think grief at any age is is, is really hard yes. you know um and it's it's difficult in how we process things i find that there are times when i still miss them and i find i get choked up yeah. like someone asked me at a party once oh you know um oh did you, you lost your father quite young and all of a sudden my my voice cracked it, yeah. it came up somehow with like just a, a a casual friend who i didn't really know too well and then i was mortified thinking I'm like 46 years old and I and sometimes it still hits you, yeah, no, you know, and other times you can talk about it quite, you know, with nothing without emotion, but without feeling overcome by emotion. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those things, I think, that in life people should be very mindful of yes. because people deal with grief quite differently and you could have a good day or you can have a bad day, you know, yeah. so. But it's always with yeah. you. Yeah, you no, know, I always think all grief is always with you, and it will. You know, I'm the same. I'm 47. It would depend on my hormone levels and whether yeah, exactly. whether I can talk yeah. about things yeah. freely yeah. or whether I'll just go <laughs> and just blab. But so I, it, I think the wonderful thing about grief, though, if you look at the positive side of it, is it's a sign that you've you've lived and you've loved. Absolutely. So there's you know there's only a, a, there's grief because it's the outpouring of love. Yeah. So there's you know a, a positive way of I suppose of reframing it. Well, you know you're alive, don't you? They yeah. all say you haven't lived unless you've experienced loss. Exactly. You've got to know exactly. That to know that you're alive. 
But um, so so you moved back then at twelve, and yeah. So you, your secondary years then in school, yeah, were were in a very small farming town <laughs> in Ireland. <laughs> excellent, oh, excellent. And um, I went to to uni, and I spent a year um, in Italy, and that was amazing. So cool. I did it what as part of um, the University of Bologna. Okay. Yeah. So I I went and there. What did you study? I studied well. I studied Italian and English for my undergraduate, and then I did a master's um, literature and publishing. But as part of um, my Erasmus program, I won a scholarship to go to the University of, uh, of Bologna, and I studied a Renaissance theatre. Um, <laughs> as you okay, do, nothing, that just, was a bit just, niche. Just, it, it, was a bit, it sounds so blasé about it. That's quite a lot. <laughs> but um, it was wonderful. It was one of the best years, I think, of uh, that I've ever spent. I think, you know, you come alive, you, you, yeah. you learn to look after yourself. I have stories after stories of things that happened there. It was it was just such a wonderful place because it's the left capital of, of Italy. So it's it's not very conservative. It's, you know, okay. it's the gay capital. It's the fascist. Well, not fascist. Gosh, uh, I shouldn't be saying. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> it was where, uh, fa- fashion. That's what I meant to say. I think it has a, a history of, of um, outliers yes. and... Um, and rebellion. And if you can look under the porticos of the wall, you can see a lot of bullet marks from the time that Mussolini and the fascist regime had a oh, hold wow. at, the, at that time. So that's what I meant to say. Yes. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> a slip of the tongue is no fault of the mind. <laughs> it's I'm also like, the gastronomic capital of Italy. Yeah, oh, I really? won't be hired as a tour guide anytime <laughs> soon. Let's... <laughs> so it's where um, tortellini and tortelloni is made and they call it um, the, the grassa capital. So, you know, when you go there, it's like everyone is like tucks into food. It's all about the bread and yeah. the pasta and the wine. So um, and also like we had some amazing experiences. There's a um, great opera house there and you can get. Once they sell the tickets for for the opera, there are some kind of like leftover seats. The okay. ones behind the pole, yes, as I discovered. I those, yeah. <laughs> so you can have you. What you do is you form a queue at like six in the morning, and then you'll get your ticket for like twenty thousand lira at the time, which I think was about four euro. Wow. So I remember watching. Um, I can't remember what it was again. Um, the name of the, the it doesn't matter the name of the opera has yeah. escaped me but I just remember it was like three hours long and I was behind a pole <laughs> I just and had a, a crick in my in neck. neck yeah but it was wonderful and yes. like so you have these like very unique experiences um and, and it's, did you it's travel fun. Italy at all? Yeah, because the one thing Mussolini did do is he created a great infrastructure. Fabulous. So, um, like to trains. Yeah. D Shocks was on recently and she was all about the trains, so we must tell her. Yeah, so um, Bologna is kind of right in the centre of Italy. So um, you're equidistant to Rome, to Florence and... Um, and to various the, the the bigger cities, so uh, yeah, we took advantage of it. And um, I remember taking a train to Rome once, and we were we were in a student residence, and it was taken over by um, this kind of the the students in in Bologna were very kind of had very socialist leanings. And they had taken over our studentato, our student residence, okay. right? And so <laughs> we were like. I mean, it was the things that we put up with were like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't have enough Italian to know how to say 
Excuse me, Excuse me I'm, I'm, I want a scholarship. <laughs> I, I, how does impact this impact me? So I was like, yeah, okay, grand, yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to take over, we're going to lock the door, we're not going to let the man in, the portineria uh, okay. is the man who like sat at reception and allowed people in, got your post, etc. So they locked him out and they were taking over. It was this big kind of, you know, protest. And I was like, yes, yeah, yay. <laughs> I don't know what I'm yaying. Um, and what I discovered was like within like, oh, like days, they had cut off our water. So oh like God. we had cold water. We were boiling pots of water to like wash our hair. And I'm like, I did not sign up for this. But what I did sign up for was a protest march to Rome. And they're like, we can get you to Rome. The You know, we're going to have this big protest march. And myself and this guy from Dublin who was in the residence as well was going, we could probably get there really cheaply, couldn't we? They're like, yeah, you know, the tickets were something like, oh, it could have been like four euro return, which was like Amazing. nothing. Yeah. So we were like, yes, we're power in. to the people. <laughs> so we got on the train and um, everyone had their, their banners and they were like their T-shirts and, you know, their slogans and everything. And they got off and we were like, we scooted off. We did a lightning tour of the Vatican. We took pictures just about everywhere. We had a bowl of pasta. We had, you name it. We do the whole thing. And then we scooted back to the train. They were like, so wasn't it amazing? Oh, I said, oh, it's the best day of my life. What part did you enjoy? I enjoyed all, all of it. it. <laughs> oh, my God. Especially the bit that we weren't at. <laughs> so, And actually, I visited there in February and all the marches were on because of the recession. And like, initially, I was like, oh, my God, this is, it was like something out of Les Mis. Like, they yes, were so yes. Big and, um, but police were like everywhere, and so I didn't know whether where to be looking because the police are just beautiful, aren't they? We used to call them the Armani police. Oh, hello! Because there's two different um, there's two different types of police. There's the police yeah. who do things, and then there is the, the the police who kind of they pose. They have white gloves, and I yes. figure if you're wearing white gloves and Miami Vice sunglasses, you're you're not <laughs> you're not doing much to patrol the well, streets. Yeah, and actually, and Lisa just, said to me, some people join the police force just to wear the uniform. And oh, I, like, I believe I it. Imagine. I yeah. believe it, and they're there having their coffee and all. And but you'll see, there's police who actually police, and then there's the okay. police who just yeah, yeah who well, are those, there. Those yeah. that just whatever they're just there. Fabulous, yeah, to look to fabulous. Say. They yeah. did look yeah. amazing, and what. And what would be your favourite city in Italy? I loved Florence because I went back again as an adult and I just thought it's got the perfect mixture of art and history. Um, It's got everything that Rome has, but it's got that village feel to it. So if you go to like a restaurant, you'll have these big wooden tables and like breaking bread and you might just have pasta um, with pepper and butter and it's the most sublime thing you've ever tasted you know in a glass of red wine and it's like very rustic so and you can go um, like on wine tasting tours pasta making tours in the Tuscan hills so it's like you know you can you can do these little short um, kind of day trips and, and whatnot so there's there's something for everyone and it's it's relatively inexpensive. Yeah. Like 
I remember we, we went, I went back with a friend of mine. So we did everything from just sitting and like having the communal tables where you're breaking bread and eating pasta to, you know, Michelin star restaurants that really aren't that dear. Yes. So and it's everything's quite it's quite unassuming. So it's low key, high end. So, you know, you can have the cheap and cheerful or you can have your Michelin starred restaurant if you want that experience. Yeah. So you've got a mixture of, of different experiences I mean, and it's just go. still quite hearty. I mean, the, where would you fly into if you fly? We flew into Pisa. Okay. Uh, this is a few. This is years back. So we flew into Pisa and we took a bus. But okay. you can fly into the Florence is an airport, okay. so you can fly into Florence. But it depends. I don't know what the Dublin. yeah yeah. Oh well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Milan it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so when you were going to uni and you're doing all this, what were your expectations? Where did you think that is going that was going to take you? What did you want to do? Well, I I always knew that I wanted to write. I loved, I didn't have anything, I didn't have a career that I had in mind. When I was younger, I wanted to be a doctor and I just like fainted the sight of blood. So okay, <laughs> knocked that, that on off. the head, yeah. Um, I've always loved reading. I've always loved writing. I've always had like, you know, a very active imagination. And I just, I knew that I wanted to do English in, in, in university. So, and I liked the idea of psychology, but I didn't, that's the one thing I kind of think, oh, I kind of wish I pursued that. But it's, it's quite clinical and technical. I don't know how clinical I am. Yeah. I'm not the most, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more creative, kind of um, anchored in being very organization. I still have a good balance between left and right and, okay. you know, in terms of, you know, how I think. But... I'm definitely more creative than, than yes. clinical. Um, so I like the idea. I like the idea of psychology in terms of how it rolls out with how people interact as opposed to doing clinical trials. I think I just... I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> I'd no. be very bored. More interested in how people yeah. engage with each other. Engage, exactly. Yeah. So I had studied French in school and it was a subject that I was good at. I wasn't necessarily great at it, um, but I liked it. But I remember um, you could do four subjects in your undergrad. Yes. And I just didn't like the department. Department. And I remember the guy who was, we had, um, we were in the audio department and we were repeating things on a microphone and the guy listened in and said, oh, do you call that French? <laughs> I oh. was like, excuse you. Pardon. <laughs> <laughs> so I just didn't feel like really understood. But in the Italian department, they were like, come on in. Everyone yeah. can speak Italian. <laughs> but um, they were just more a bit more because it was my first year learning it. And yes. my mother was like, are you like insane? You've done five or four years, whatever it was, of French in school. And now you're giving that up to do Italian. But I just have to do a second subject like with English and she's like well why don't you do the thing that you've studied and I just said I prefer Italian and I did really well in it and yes. I think it's if you have an aptitude for languages anyhow and you have a genuine interest in something and someone makes it enjoyable and someone and they're also like nobody is judging you you know yeah. you can make a mistake and they're like no this is how you say it keep going yeah. and and it's no one's you know mocking you or but the Italians are very like the Irish I think they're, they're, they're much really more are. laid back yeah. you know and it was an elitist and there was a certain assumption in in the French department that if you hadn't been to France they're like oh well you haven't been to France you know and I hadn't you know yes. I hadn't had the opportunity um, and there was just a bit there was just a bit more it was more inclusive and the Italian department worked really hard I studied non-stop you had to because you know, you know and our professor was like, your job now is to be fluent. 
Yeah. And in, you know, four years time, that's your job and you won't pass until you're 100 percent fluent. And the great thing about being in Bologna was in Italy, they do their exams orally. OK. Yeah. So nothing is written. So for me, that was always a challenge because I was always a better writer than a speaker. Yes. And um even like I had friends who did maths. I was like, how did you do maths? They're like, oh, you do it on the board, but you have to explain your process to the professor. Okay. I'm like, oh, my God, that's interesting. So I had to. I would have passed much more exams. <laughs> yeah. So we had to do this back and forth. Like you had to know everything off the top of your head. Yes. So not only did you have to know your subject matter, you had to be, you know, under, you had to be conversational enough to be able to communicate that in your exam. So it stood me in good stead. I finished my four years. I did my master's in um, literature and publishing. And I'll be honest, Shan, I was a bit, I thought I was going to be a professor. I did not know what I was, I didn't know what the opportunities were okay. in the 90s. Yes. I, I, was all, I was always like, oh, I'll be a professor. Sure, what else will, would I do? And I had my, I'd gotten my endorsements from my professor and I was sending off my, um, application for Berkeley University to do a PhD there okay. and I didn't send it and I still wonder to this day I'm like why didn't I like why <laughs> Is it your gut? Uh, and my mom had uh, said to me my mom and a friend of mine were just like mama's like you're you're 24 like I think I was 20 maybe three at the time and I was writing yes. out this she's like what not being funny but what do you have to offer the world like why don't you go live and then come and then back and then do it. And I remember being like, it felt like a blessed relief again. A friend of mine had said, look, you know, you spent all these years in a library. We don't want to find you in four years time. <laughs> Still, in, Still the in the library. Covered in like moss. <laughs> so um, I just said, yeah. And I kind of, I clumsily went from job to job. Um, and what kind of... When you say clumsy, what kind of jobs oh, were you doing? Oh, good Lord. I did everything. I Well, first of all, what I did when I came out of um, university is I took a job teaching English. Okay. And I got, um, I was covering someone's maternity leave. And they offered it to me full time because she wasn't coming back. And I had that horrible sinking feeling. I thought this is not where I need to be right now. And I didn't want to be responsible for shaping leaving cert students. I just thought it was too, too big yes. a responsibility. And, you know, I... It just wasn't for me at that that point in time. So I I declined and um, I waitressed. Then I went to Italy and I taught English as a foreign language because that's what you do when you <laughs> decide not to take on yeah. a teaching job. You take another one. Absolutely. Um, and then I came back and I decided that I was going to move to Dublin. And I... I did. And I took weird jobs like I sold heart monitors to the elderly, uh, like cold calling yeah. for like two weeks. And then I did I, I did temp. I was like temp temping everywhere. Like I was the worst receptionist. I couldn't. Answer. I was constantly dropping calls. I would do things like clear, clear up people's databases. And then I became a recruitment consultant. And clearly I confused that with being a social worker. And oh God, yeah, yeah, and it just and I think they wanted to fire me, but they couldn't. And they were trying to think of like creative ways of how they were going <laughs> to get rid of me. And I did them the, the kindness of going, no, oh, I, I left. And I worked for a publishing company which I enjoyed but they went bust and so it only lasted 11 months and then I worked for a magazine doing ad sales which I hated and so I was trying to do advertorial so okay, I was writing gotcha. the copy so 
all the while, just to backtrack while, from about the time that I was working in the publishing company, I was doing work freelance for different magazines. Okay. So I, you know, managed to get some work for Elle in, in the Lovely. UK, in London. And then I was doing like little bits and bobs, anything that I could scrape together. So when you kind of, it's funny to look back on it and think this is all pre-internet when you were writing letters yes. to someone or in the, in the height of sophistication was to send an email on a hotmail address, you know, yeah. or something like that. It was, it or was, facts. or facts, you know. Facts. I remember the old facts. The old facts. So at that point, a friend of mine um, and I, both of us had just said, I was looking to break into journalism and, and writing. And yeah. She had, she was looking to get into acting and okay. um, she had an agent and everything. And we just said, well, we moved to London and we made a really quick, fast and dirty decision. It was one of those things that's like the a byproduct of youth. And I kind of missed that confidence and that like I had nothing to lose. So that's why I was so six weeks later, <laughs> we were in London. <laughs> and like, where did you live? <laughs> I lived in, um, I, we lived for a month uh, with a friend in Haringey. Okay. Um, um, so we lived in her, uh, bless Hilda, she like took us under her wing. And then we moved to Finsbury Park, okay, which, which, no, which was different at the time. Oh, was as, okay. as a friend of mine said, when you spell it backwards, it's crappy rub sniff. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember this guy had tried breaking into our apartment just as we were kind of going out um, that evening so we were like oh my god so we go down the fire escape yeah. and we ran to the pub because that's what you do absolutely <laughs> there's people in the pub they will save us and um, we because we were meeting our friends and we're like you're never going to believe what happened two pints of Heineken please um, oh <laughs> someone tried breaking in they said did you call the police we're like um no 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 <laughs> So, yeah, we were a tiny bit flaky. Um, we moved then to Islington, which is lovely. We shared yep. that. That was the dream. That was three and a half years of, um, it was a four bedroom Victorian house with a roof garden and a back garden and the rent control. And Perfect. but then the landlord decided to gift it to his son. Oh. So then I had I moved to Tower Hill and then I moved to Myland. And so all north side. Yeah, all north side. And it got a bit iffy towards the end. Every, like a lot of things happened that pointed me towards moving back. Yes. One of which and it happened in, in very quick succession, which leads me to believe that sometimes the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, is kind of showing you the neon sign. Yeah. Um, I had gotten within a very short space of time. We had the Seven Eleven bombings. Okay. Yeah. Falling day, and I was like very. I was. I lived in Allgate, or yeah. Took those those lines, and I was like. I think I was on a few trains before, obviously, yes. happening, whatever. But you just think, crikey, that could oh, have been me. Crazy, like, it yeah. was far. And I remember walking home and it was like everyone was walking funereal procession. It was it was just so on. It was just a really, I don't know how to put it. It shook everyone. It shook everyone. It shook your sense of safety yes. to your core. Um, and then my bank, uh, I got a call from the bank the following day. My account had been skimmed. So they did it on the day of, they were like, do you own a lawnmower or a car? I was no. like, neither. Do you live in, you, you don't spend any time in Essex, do you? No. They're like, oh, okay, it's been skimmed. So I managed to get the money back, but it was all this back and forth to the yes. police station, blah, blah, blah. And then I got um, assaulted. I got attacked on my doorstep. Wow. So, um and it all happened within very like quick succession. Yes. And I was thinking of moving home. My sister just said, would you just, just come home? You're quitting your job tomorrow. 
um, at this stage, may I just insert that I started working in a full-time really great job. Yeah. <laughs> I worked as for Screen International as a publishing the the publisher's assistant and I also was the event organizer for the Oscar Moore Foundation. So okay. what they did was they tried to it was an award that they gave to European screenwriters. Yeah. So trying to keep all the screenwriting talent um, from the grip and the best boy to the writers within Europe. So it was um Eric Fellner and um, a few others were sorry. All of a sudden, my brother, I, I'm trying yeah. desperate for names, but Eric Fellner from from um, Love Actually. What's oh, the name okay. of the production company again? Oh God, God, I'm just showing just how Richard. Rich- Oh, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. It is Richard, isn't it? But um, Richard, Richard Curtis. Curtis. Richard Curtis. So, um, <laughs> and Emma Thompson was on the board and stuff like that. So it was great. It was lovely to work in that. I worked in that for like a year and a half, I think it was. And then I moved to radio. So okay. I worked for Kiss FM and Magic 105.4. Okay, no, so, yeah, so it was great. I was, again, in an assistant position, but I worked for the sales and marketing team. So I did all the kind of branded content. Cool. I was the web design, not web designer. I was web editor for the Magic website. And I did some items and kind of um, this, that, and the other yes. voiceovers and, and, and bits and pieces. Um, and so I moved back to, to Ireland. I s- was doing some contract work based on what I had done before. And I thought, I'm going around in circles. And all the while, like I said, I'd been freelancing, doing bits for Dazed and Confused and different magazines. And I always had that interest in fashion. And then I thought, I can either keep continuing going around chasing my tail and not jumping and taking the plunge, yes. which is what I was doing. I was always going sideways. It was that fear. And I thought... Again, it was a bit of a full circle moment. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Do <laughs> yeah. it. Do it. And so 11 years later. Ta-da. Wow. <laughs> Bring you up to speed. Sorry, that's like the longest story. No, but it's amazing. And so obviously, um, you know, award-winning fashion stylist. Um, and then the writing came back in. Yeah, I mean, the write, the writing was always there. I started when I went f- f- um, freelance, a full-time freelance I kind of fell on my feet with working for the examiner and um, I was doing some more generalist stuff. I was doing everything from travel to beauty and fashion, but like my interest was in fashion. So the fashion editor was taking a year off. I think she was traveling. And so the job came up and at the same time they were like, we want to send you to Paris Fashion Week and London. And I was, it was just like a dream come true. Everything just fell into, and it was weird. Um, I worked for RT. I got a job like as the stylist on the what was then the afternoon show. And so just a very there were a lot of opportunities that came my way. um, And I think it was one of those things. I I leapt on all of them. Um, And it it bore, you know, it it bore fruit. And um, it was it was the right timing. You know, um, I had I had a blog at the time. This is in the days when the height of sophistication a blog was just text yeah it was a blog yeah absolutely. and it was just you know it, the, the fashion I think I was one of the first fashion bloggers yes. in, in Ireland and um, I ran a series of events called the Fashion Bloggers Brunch and that was just to get to know people because like they were only I, it's hilarious I couldn't get six people together to go to this. Now you would have, like, oh, God, oh yeah. it's it's unreal six how, to yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's it's unreal how how it's proliferated and expanded. And um, 
but the whole face of blogging had changed yes. in a very short space of time and I wasn't really one although I you know take out for posts here and there to it wasn't my kind of my jam so yeah. to speak and I had wanted to write books and I had an idea for a book so I folded the blog and then I started pitching the idea for the happy closet and that came about yeah so that was like for me I think one of the the biggest thing that I've ever wanted to do was write a book um it's funny, like I'd always been into short story writing and poetry writing and, you know, creative writing. And I, I didn't know what my story was. Yes. And I think it all comes back to what my mom said, because now I have like a third book that I want to write. And I'm, I have it. I'm just trying to find the time to write it. And I have it all planned out. And my mom's like, you've got to get experience in life. That's what informs everything. You know, yeah. you can't just. And it's just... true. Like we always talk on here about as you, you know, as you get older, you always look back on your younger self and go, oh, my God, I thought I knew it all then. And yeah. I'm still learning like, you know, yeah. I can't wait to be 50 I'll, because I'm excited about what I'll, you know, in the next couple of years, what I'll learn. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's always learning. And, and I love the happy closet. And thank you so much. The happy medium. Oh, I have. you're very welcome. So if you don't know, I only started reading again this year after a huge break, like since school. <laughs> I'm just not a reader. But um, but I've decided, you know, screens take up too much of our time. Yeah. So I read every day when I go to bed and. And so that, that that is my new book. Oh, so, yay. So, Great. yeah, no, I'm excited. No, that's good. But um, And good news. I was yeah. saying to you earlier that yes. both books um, have been chosen to be made into audiobooks. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really excited. So I, I think got audio that. is so yeah. important. Yeah. So important. But it is great. But um, obviously the podcast is called Be Belle. Yeah. So what is, in, in a sentence, being Belle, being beautiful to you? Being Belle is... Being in a good mood. I think um, for me, I find, you know, I've always had challenges with kind of feeling blue and yes. feeling down. And I think um, kind of working freelance sounds exciting. But when it's you're tough. making the challenges on you're making the decisions on your own and you live alone and you sometimes feel like it's in an echo chamber. But I remember... I do, you know, I listen a lot to a lot of new age philosophy and there's a theory that, you know, obviously we're all electricity, you yeah. know, our mood is a vibration and you know, when someone lights up a room, it's right there in the metaphor. So I think for me, the challenge is always trying to, without being sounding fey, is being grateful. Like I have to force myself sometimes because sometimes I get into the yeah, boo-hoo, poor me, life do. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It's a great place to be sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, no, what do you have that, you know, and it's it's endless once you start writing it down. Writing lists is, yeah. is, is important. And it's like, this is this is what you have to be grateful for. You're, you're standing on two legs that work. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like me being my own kind of mother going, cop on. Accountability. <laughs> accountability. Yeah, accountability. But, you know, gratitude is infectious. Yeah. And, it's, and so is happiness. And so is happiness. It's yeah. true. Um, you know, you, you catch it and you want to catch those feels. Yeah. And if you can kind of generate that good mood that will kind of because gen- have you ever noticed when you're in a like a, a terrible mood terrible things happen oh always that's always when you're in the worst traffic and yeah. like you know busy creates busy bad yes. moods create bad, bad moods. moods good moods create good moods it, everything is contagious it's contagious depends I, which direction you want to go in and sometimes it takes a lot of work and it takes me 
kind of mentally slapping myself upside the head. (laughs) (laughs) Mentally slapping myself upside the head. Now, don't slap yourself on the head. But I will get you to pick a quick question out there that one of your predecessors left. And you just read it out and give us... What did you last binge watch? Mindhunter season two. And is that on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Okay, um, we're doing that. It's all about the psychology behind serial killers, but um, it's it's um, uh, phenomenal. I won't okay. ruin it for you. We're going to do that. And last question. Uh, what's your greatest piece of advice for someone? Oh, my gosh. Now, this has to be a one-liner. I always think they're the best ones. I'm the worst person to give advice. Um, Maybe that's the advice. <laughs> I know. Don't take <laughs> advice from strangers. C- consider your own counsel. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. Do you know, we've talked a little bit about that today and we've talked about lighting up the room and, and I think you light up the room ah. and I really want to thank you for coming on. I've had a lovely day. Thank you so much no for worries. having me. Thank you, Emily.